Before we jump into this passage in Isaiah uh, that we'll be spending our time in as we continue this series, Promises, last week we talked about the promise, the prophecy of Christ in the book of Genesis and what that meant for us, and today we'll continue that. But before we get going in the service today, I want to start with just taking a moment to recognize what we celebrated this weekend. Uh, we celebrated Veterans Day this weekend, and you know, I just want to say this, that we are blessed to live in the greatest country in the world, and it, it didn't come without a sacrifice, uh, with, with people giving their time and their years um, to that service. So we just want to say thank you. And actually, if you don't mind, we would love to honor you. If you're a veteran in the house this morning, would you mind just standing to your feet so we can acknowledge you and thank you for your service? Thank you. Thank you. I know... I know that you deserve so much more than that, but I hope you feel that we love you and we're so thankful for you. Right, church? All right. Let's jump in to Isaiah 53. Now, I want to say this is an Old Testament passage that we're jumping into. Uh, this is in the Old Testament, and it's a prophecy given from Isaiah proclaiming what the Messiah will go through and what the Messiah will do. He's speaking to uh, who the Savior of the world will be. And, and it's important for us as we read through Isaiah 53, the question we are answering today as the Christian church, as a Christian, we're answering the question, is Isaiah talking about Jesus? That's what we're gonna try to get to today. Is Jesus the Messiah that Isaiah is talking about? And we're gonna go through this line by line and compare it to other pieces in scripture that we see if it's Jesus or not. Sound good? All right, so Isaiah 53 verse five says this. But he will be pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was broken so we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. It says that he'll be pierced for our rebellion. If you know the story of Jesus on the cross, you know that he is pierced through. He's pierced through. And then it says he will be crushed for our sins. Crushed. When, when, when Jesus went to the cross, when Jesus the Messiah goes to the cross, he goes to the cross and bears the weight of humanity's sin. The crushing weight of sin. And sin is crushing. You don't know how I know this, I don't know about you, but whenever I sin, whenever, whenever I do something that's outside of the will of God, I immediately feel a weight crushing on me. Jesus goes to the cross and is crushed with all of humanity's sin. We talked about the fall in Genesis 3 last week and, and what that meant for humanity, that someone would have to come and crush the head of the serpent. Jesus is doing this on the cross and being crushed by the weight of humanity's sin. It then goes on to say that, that we will be made whole. We will be made whole through this Messiah. Anybody ever heard that, that a preacher used this visual that when they're, usually it's around an altar call when they're, they're talking to somebody, bringing them to Jesus, and they'll say something, there is a void in your life, a God-shaped hole. Anybody ever heard that? It's something that is used quite often, but it's true that we are designed to be completed through Christ. And this resonates with me. As someone who spent years and years and years trying to fill this void in my life that it needed filling with everything I could. 
With whatever I could get my hands on, whatever person I could, you know, I was just trying to fill this void, but it wasn't until I met Jesus and stepped into the gospel and into relationship with him for the first time in my life, I was made whole through him. That's what it's talking about. That's what Jesus offers to us. I do wanna just do a little rabbit trail. It says that we made whole through Jesus. It's saying very simply that Christ will make us whole. The Messiah will make us whole. Nothing else will complete us. We spend a lot of time trying to find other things to add on to the gospel of Jesus or the reality of Jesus to complete us. And the answer is it's Jesus and Jesus alone that completes us. We can't add anything, and I I know that we we got self-help books, we got crystals, we got whatever thing we're doing. All of that stuff is just trying to add on to who Jesus already is. I'm not saying that doing self-help or trying other things to better your life and create better habits is a bad thing, but if you are looking for fulfillment in those things, you will always be let down. You are fulfilled through Christ and Christ alone. And then verse six, it says this. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. All of us are like sheep. Now, I am not a sheep farmer, but I have seen sheep. And I find it interesting in scripture, over and over again I see that us as humanity we're often compared to sheep. And I'll be honest, it frustrates me. Because there's a lot of things about sheep that when I look at them, I'll say, I am not that. I'm not that. Well, let's look at this. Let's talk about some characteristics of a sheep that maybe we can relate to. When it comes to a sheep, sheep are stubborn. And I know at first, like, I am not stubborn, says the stubborn person. We, sheep are stubborn. When you watch someone trying to lead a sheep and they're pulling on the reins, sheep will dig their heels in and say, I'm not going. Humanity is the same way. We can become so stubborn in our life that we'll start to dig our heels into things. Maybe it's even the ways we think or speak or act. You know, I've believed this for years, and I'm hearing something different now, but I don't care. I I know I'm supposed to treat people in this way because the pastor talks about it every week, but I'm just not gifted like that. We can be stubborn as well, just like sheep. Another characteristic of a sheep is they can be blind followers. They can be blind followers. I don't know if you've ever seen these videos, but they're hilarious. When, when, one, when there's a line of sheep walking, if one of them jumps over something, all the sheep behind them will jump over without knowing what's on the other side. It doesn't matter if there's a cliff on the other side. And the first sheep jumps over and falls to its death. All the other sheep are like, we're going with you, bud. They blindly follow. We do it too. We blindly follow. Maybe it's, you know, uh, Maybe it's what we're watching on TV. Whatever news station we're turned into, we're like, oh, that's it. I don't care. I'm jumping over. We blindly follow a lot as humanity. And as we talked about last week, there's a great enemy that is deceiving us. 
And he is deceiving us sometimes into a place of leaping over or following somewhere that's not good for us. That's why we're described as sheep. The last characteristic of a sheep is they're easily deceived. Now, I did, grow, I did work around a farm for a little while, and there was a period of time where I helped a, a family uh, get their sheep their medication. So what has to happen is the sheep have to come in to a chute, and I, would, I, I wish I had a picture, but there's a chute that the sheep have to come into, and you get them in there and you give them their shots, their medicine, all of that, so they can have a great year. Sheep don't wanna do it. Sheep don't wanna go into that chute. But there's something you can do. If you dangle some food in front of them, they'll walk right in. Oh, look, a carrot! They'll walk right in, you put them in there, give them their shot, send them on their way, don't give them the carrot. God, it's a budget, guys. You can't just give every sheep a carrot. You know, and, and you're like, oh, that's, what a silly sheep. We do the same thing. This great deceiver that we talked about last week dangles something in front of us, and we're like, okay, whatever you say. We can also be de- uh, easily deceived. So when it says that we are sheep that have strayed away, it's pointing to the fact that we, as humanity, are like sheep that are easily deceived, blindly follow, and stubborn, and strayed away from the word of God. That's what it's saying here. Strayed away. And then it goes on to say in verses seven through eight, he was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. Remember, he's talking about the Messiah here. And as a, as, as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. But he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He was oppressed and treated harshly. Remember, this is around a 1,000 years before Christ talking about this Messiah being oppressed and and treated harshly. If you know the story of the gospel, you know that this happens to Jesus. He is beaten and he's flogged. He's mocked. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He's treated harshly. And then it says he never says a word. He never says a word. Isaiah is prophesying that the Messiah will be treated this way and won't respond. And we see this fulfilled in the book of Mark. Mark is telling us the story of Jesus standing before Pilate. Jesus stands before Pilate who would be his judge to determine his outcome. And this is his court date. This is the time where the defendant should fight for freedom. Should fight to prove their innocence, to say I'm not what they're saying I am. And Jesus finds himself in front of Pilate and does this. Pilate asks Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? Which is what he's being accused of. Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus replied, you have said it. I just gotta be honest. This line in scripture has always been hard for me. Jesus is Lord. A human, Pilate, is is asking him, are you the king of the Jews? Asking him this line. I'll be in my humanity, I say, Jesus, why didn't you open up heaven on him? Why didn't you put on a show of your grandeur? Why why didn't you call down the armies of heaven and surround yourself with them and say, 
you said I am. He responds this way, and we see why in just a bit. You have said it, he said. Then leading priests kept accusing him of many crimes. Kept accusing him of crimes, and we know that Jesus was perfect, committed no crime. And Pilate asked him, are you going to answer them? You can see Pilate, the judge, almost saying here, are you going to say anything to defend yourself from what they're accusing you of? But Jesus said nothing, much to Pilate's surprise. We can see the fulfillment of Isaiah 53, for the Messiah will be treated this way and treated harshly, unjustly, condemned, and he will speak nothing. We see Jesus doing this later in scripture, speaking nothing. Prophecy being fulfilled. It's important to remember that Jesus was silent, but he was not helpless. Like I said earlier, Jesus could have opened up heaven, called down the armies of God, he could, have, he could have punished everyone there. He was silent, but not weak. He was silent, but not helpless. And this will make sense why he is silent in just a little bit. He is a willing, a willing participant to the cross. He knows what's coming. He knows what pain is about to, he's about to endure. He knows where he's going, but he's doing it willingly and silently. This sticks out to me because as a Christian, we try to live a life that is like Christ. But we live in a world today where our first response usually is to lash out verbally. Someone says something, we lash out. Someone is wrong, we tell them they're wrong. Someone is, is in the wrong place. We tell them they're in the wrong place. I question, can we learn something from Jesus in the midst of being treated harshly, unjustly, not deserving this at all, he chooses to say nothing. Sometimes, sometimes our response should be the same. And it goes on to read in verse nine. He had done no wrong and never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. This is once again in Isaiah prophesying, promising what the Messiah will go through. He was put in a rich man's grave. He will be perfect is what I say. He, he, he has done no wrong. And if you read the gospel stories of Jesus, you will know that he lived a perfect sinless life in perfection. Never treated anybody poorly, never lied, never deceived. He had done no wrong. And then it says that he will be buried like a criminal and put in a rich man's grave in Isaiah 53. We see that in Matthew 27, verse 57, we see the fulfillment of this when they describe Jesus being taken from the cross and what happens and where he goes to be buried. This happens this way. It's fulfilled it, through Jesus. Verse 10, because I got a lot to get through and not a lot of time. Verse 10, but it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief, yet, when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hand. But it was the Lord's good plan. Isaiah is prophesying to the fact that this will be God's plan for salvation. That it was God that put this plan in motion, sending his son. Jesus was not taken 
was not taken uh, as, as a sacrifice, as a victory of humanity or a victory of the enemy. Jesus going to the cross was a victory of God. He willed that for, for the salvation of humanity, to redeem man from their punishment. It, it's such a, a mind-blowing piece of scripture that it will be the Lord's will that this will happen. Painting the picture that Jesus will be given in such a way that brings, is, is pleasing to God because humanity, salvation will be found in this gift. Giving of his son, and then verse 11. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he'll be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous for he will bear all of their sins. If you have your Bible, circle all of their sins. He will bear everything. In this passage it says, by what he has accomplished in his anguish, what Jesus accomplishes in his anguish, in his pain, in his suffering, will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. This is talking about adoption into the family of God. Isaiah prophesying this in chapter 53. He's talking that the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ will make it a possibility for fallen humanity once again to be brought into the family of God. Beautiful story. And that's what happens to us. When we have a moment where we respond to the gospel of Jesus. And as I read Isaiah 53, a prophecy around a thousand years before Jesus. I see Jesus all over it, fulfilling line after line after line. And then I respond to the gospel by what he has accomplished, my response to the gospel, being adopted into the family. What does that mean for me? What does that mean for you? If, you have uh, if you've confessed Christ as your Lord and Savior and you've been adopted into the family, what does that mean? What should your life look like? The first thing it means is it means an identity change. You are no longer known just by your name. You are known as a son and daughter of the Most High God. Your identity is completely changed in this. Everything in you changes. Your identity changes from who you were or what you have done to only Jesus is now your identifying marker. I, I, I think through this. I'm so blessed that this is the truth. That because of my relationship with Jesus, I'm no longer known for what I have done, but for what he did. I think about it this way. If I had to come up here and list every single sin I've done, over the years, and it was put on the screen, on the slides, and showed you line by line the crimes I've committed against the word of God, a lot of you wouldn't want to be my friends anymore. But because Jesus was the Messiah, is the Messiah that Isaiah 53 speaks of, my identity has changed, and that is no longer who I am. I am free in Christ. The second thing that happens is when we step into the family of God, we are adopted as sons and daughters, our focus begins to change. Our focus begins to change. We become kingdom-minded. That's where we lean to. Let me rephrase that. Our focus should change. 
or adopted into the family of God. It is not something that just naturally happens. It is a response that when we step into this family, into this relationship with God, we should go from being self-focused, self-centered, selfish, building my kingdom to having a focus of building the kingdom of God. That's what it should look like. I mean, this is one of the main reasons as a church we're partnering with Bristlecone this year for the year in gift. Is we, we want to create an opportunity like Dan talked about. We want to create an opportunity for us to practice this, to live a sacrificial life where we're saying it's not about my life, it's about the kingdom of God. And the third thing it should do in us is it should cause moral change in us. Responding to the gospel and being adopted into the family should cause us to, to change our moral compass. The Bible describes this as living a holy life, pursuing a holy life, living set apart. That's what that word means, to be set apart, to be holy, that we are called to be in this world but not be of this world. That's the life we're called to live. When we're adopted into this family, these are things in us that should change. Isaiah 53 paints this picture of what the Messiah will do, what will happen to the Messiah, and then we believe as the Christian church that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy, of this promise. But I find it very interesting that after Jesus goes to the cross, then goes to the grave, and he conquers the grave, in the book of Acts, chapter eight, something really special happens. In the book of Acts, chapter eight, there's a man named Philip that is sent by the Holy Spirit to a man on a road. He's traveling down the road and Philip is sent to him. And this man is, is reading the prophet Isaiah. What we know now is chapter 53, verses five through 13. He's reading this. And he's reading out loud that, 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 that this Messiah will be pierced, he'll be crushed, he'll be this, he'll be that. And he's reading and God sends Philip to him. Philip encounters him reading this, hears him, and they have this dialogue. He's asked, do you know who this is talking about? Philip asks the man. Do you know who this is talking about? The man responds with, how can I without someone instructing me? How am I supposed to know? And they continue to have a dialogue, and then it says this. The man asked Philip, tell me, was the prophet Isaiah talking about himself or someone else? So beginning with the same scripture, Philip told him the good news about Jesus. As they rode along, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, look, there's some water. Why can't I be baptized? He ordered the carriage to stop, and they went down in the water. Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch never saw him again, but he left rejoicing on his way. Man, think about this, thousand years in between Isaiah 53 being written and the fulfillment of it of Christ, and now there's a man reading about this promise, reading about this prophecy, and he asks the question, who is this man? And Philip is able to share the gospel with him. It's a beautiful story. And I see something in this verse in Acts 8 that kind of shows the journey of a Christian. First, this man hears the message of Jesus. 
he hears the gospel of Jesus, that Jesus is the fulfillment of this prophecy that Isaiah was talking about. He is the fulfillment of this promise. He hears it and believes. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. And what we've been talking about today in this book of Isaiah, looking at the parallels here, I wanna ask maybe someone in this room, have you heard it? Have you heard it that Jesus is the Messiah? He did fulfill the prophecies. He did go to the cross and he did conquer the grave and you've heard this good news and now it's time to respond. You wanna be adopted into the family. You wanna become a son and daughter of God. Right now, wherever, just right now, just talk to him. Ask him into your life. Talk to a staff member after service or someone in the lobby and say, hey, I heard about this Messiah Jesus and I need to do something. So this man, Philip, shares the good news. He hears it and he believes. And then he believes and then he acts. Don't you, isn't that a beautiful part of the story? He's, he's presented the gospel of Jesus and then he says, hey, look, there's water. How creative is God? Happened to be a lake right there. Look, there's water. I've heard the message of Jesus, I've responded with believing, and now I'm going to act on my faith. I'm going to be baptized. I know that there's some of us in this room who we've heard and we believe, but we haven't started to act. There is not action to our faith. Just like this man in scripture does, he goes straight from believing and hearing to action through baptism. And I know that we have a baptism coming up next week. Maybe you've been waiting for the right time. Maybe you've been waiting for the stars to align and everything be perfect and then you'll take this step. I'm, I will stand up here boldly and say to you, next week is the right time for you to be baptized. Next, it, it's time. It, it, you're never gonna regret this decision. This is the first response of this man. Can you throw the graphic up just real quick, just in case someone's ready? Text baptism to 411247. Maybe it's time for you to start putting action to your faith. And it's not just baptism. Maybe it maybe it's serving people. Maybe it's, it's um, a community and serving and helping people and whatever that looks like, but does your faith have action to it? So he hears, then he believes. He believes and then he acts, and then what does he do? He rejoices. I think this is one of the biggest things we leave out of the gospel message. He rejoices in his newfound adoption. He rejoices in the truth of Jesus. Church, hear my heart on this. I know that the world is hard. I know we're struggling. I know that there's some of us in this room who woke up today and don't know how financially you're gonna make it through the week. I know that. I know our world is broken, but even in the midst of that, we can still rejoice in the gospel of Jesus Christ. No matter what season we're in, no matter what hardship we're in, we have Jesus. 
And that's enough. That's enough. Whatever season we're in, I pray that we would not forget to rejoice in the good news of Christ. This, this is what it's all about, is we believe, we hear, we believe, we act, and then we live a life rejoicing in Christ. Rejoicing in that. Let us not forget to live our life that way. Now as we close here, I just wanna challenge you with this. When it comes to this prophecy or this promise in Isaiah, answer the question, do you believe it's Jesus? Do you believe Christ is the Messiah that he's talking about? If so, your life should change because of it. Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, we love you and we praise you. Let us be a group of people who are not just hearers but doers, who act when you call us to act or rejoice even in the midst of struggles. We thank you for the words in Isaiah, the promise of Jesus in Isaiah. In Jesus' name, amen.